At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we are here to become better habitat managers. What's up, everybody? Hope you have a great weekend ahead of you here. It is early July, and we are in midsummer. We are wrapping up our last couple land plan planned portions of the year here. Um, then it's into fall food plot planting. Today's episode, I'm going to catch you guys up on what I've been up to. Um, currently sitting in the campground right now uh, in Higgins Lake, Michigan. Beautiful area. Getting this podcast to you here today. And I'm going to go over some recent habitat and property updates at the 15 acres, what I've been up to out there over the last couple months. And then more importantly, I've been alluding to covering the Forester Walk and the Forestry Plan from the Northern 70. So up in the very Northern part of the Lower Peninsula on the new 70 acres, I've been working with the Forester Forestry team, if you will, to, um, assess my woods and get them ready for logging and opening sunlight, getting that sunlight to the forest floor. You guys have heard me talk about that a billion times. So I'm going to tell you today kind of the steps we've been going through, how the walk went, um, things we identified, potential issues, potential advantages, um, a couple of things we got to overcome, uh, the value of the timber, or at least what we think so far, etc. So a bunch of stuff coming. It'd be a great little episode here before the weekend, and I uh, want to just catch you guys up with me. We've been so busy this spring with the land plans and with other guests recording the Woodsmanship series. And um, last week we had on Heath Haggy with Waterfowl. Like, so I just want to give you guys an update because I don't feel like we've done that lately on, on my stuff. So before we get into that, I want to let you guys know that Vitalize Seed, the fall mix, carbon load, is in stock and shipping out pre-orders have all been filled and shipped so if you were one of the awesome customers who pre-ordered your seed thank you so much your seed is on the way to you um, a bunch of orders went out Al taped them and shipped them all up the other day and we have 
seed in stock at multiple dealers, other dealers being fulfilled this week yet. Um, and we have e-commerce, the website, wide open, free shipping, wherever, even, you know, California, we'll ship it to you. So that is all available in stock for fall food plot planting. Now that's titled carbon load. What that does is it loads up carbon into the soil for the spring planting. So this spring, we plant Nitro Boost, and again next spring we'll plant Nitro Boost, and that feeds off of what our fall mix, carbon load, will be doing for us this fall. Guys, there's four different types of clovers. There's four different types of turnips and brassicas in there. There's a bunch of grains, rye, wheat, triticale, oats. This fall mix is silly <laughs> how much it will do for deer and while it feeds our soil. So we are ex very excited about it. It is up on the website, vitalizeseed.com. Be sure to get your orders in now and uh, get ready for food plot planting in late July to the end of August. Next, I wanted to talk about Exodus trail cameras. You guys know we've been working with Exodus for a while. Just great guys over there, but more importantly, they have an awesome product. Um, we've been running their render cell cameras for years now and can't wait to continue to work with them. So, but that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about Velvet Fest. So if you follow Exodus, you know that they do a Velvet Fest campaign every year. Um, they're kicking this off next week on the 15th. So eight days from now. It's the official start to deer season and helps get the ball rolling along the way. Now what we do with Velvet Fest, you're going to hashtag if you have any Velvet pictures July 15th through August 19th, hashtag Velvet Fest on social media, and they're giving away a bunch of awesome prizes. So uh, to get things started, they're going to also give away 20% off any multiple Exodus render or render bundle for the first 100 orders. So get ready, guys, on the 15th. I want the HP listeners to have first access to this. 20% off using the code VELVETFEST. Now, every single camera order comes with a random prize card. Huge deals and including the new Exodus MMT tailored arrow. They came out with a line of hunting arrows. Check them out when you guys have a time, have time if you're still in the market for some new arrows. Now, you guys all know about their five-year warranty, theft damage coverage. Um, you can literally be covered by Exodus for half a decade. And just be sure to hashtag VelvetFest starting July 15th. Exodus Outdoor Gear online. Be sure to follow them. Guys are great, great products. I'm running multiple render cell cameras with the SP18 solar panel. I highly recommend them. All right. I want to thank our listeners who've been leaving us great reviews. You guys are awesome. Uh, we're sending out more decals and a few beer koozies coming up. Uh, got fresh Habitat Podcast beer koozies on the website as well if you don't want to wait. And I just want to give a shout out to the listeners. So um, thank you very much. I know, David Hoy, you got your beer koozie in the mail. Uh, should be earlier this week. So appreciate the reviews, guys. There's a link below for everything in the show notes. Everything that we're about and that we talk about and support and partner with is all below. I want to thank Packer Max Called to Packers, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, Afflictor Broadheads, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, 
Morse Nursery, Vitalize Seed, and First Light. If Josh Hilliard is listening to this, Josh, we need to get you on the podcast soon to talk about the First Light system coming up. All right, guys, enough from me. We're going to get right into it now with the Northern 70 update and the 15-acre update. All right. Had to wet the whistle there with the latte. So lately at the 15 acres, um, basically what I've been doing this spring is kind of some routine maintenance, checking the deer blinds for wasps and hornets, that sort of thing. Um, and then also, of course, getting my vitalized Nitro Boost spring mix in the ground and my killer food plot screen, my annual screen, the Border Patrol that I plant every year. Now, Border Patrol was, I want to say, was one of the, probably two reasons I killed my second nine-point in Michigan last year on the 15 acres. I have it constructed that it pinches the food plot down within 20 yards of my tree stand. And that buck didn't have to walk that way and give me the shot. He could have went the other way and walked out of my life. But the way I leave the property and have it feel comfortable and I don't pressure... He decided to take that path of least resistance and give me a shot. Now, I talk about all that on a podcast with Adam at the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. You can go back and check that out. We covered that, that second nine-point story. We actually never covered that story on HP. So if you guys want to hear that second buck hunt and kind of how the season went, check him out, Adam Miller at Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, friend of mine over there in West Michigan. Uh, so vitalize, you know, we, I put it in, we got no rain. So... You know, no matter what kind of seed you have, if you're not getting good rain, it's kind of tough. Um, but this last week, I believe my farm logs app told me I'm somewhere around an inch and a half of rain. Maybe just shy of that in three different rains. So that's huge. So when I saw that coming, I saw that coming on the 3rd of July. I got up on the 4th of July, drove down to the property, and I hit my screen with a little bit more extra Egyptian wheat, which is an annual. I had some extra seed from a couple years ago. I threw that in there, and I threw down urea, which is 46.00 pure nitrogen, on the screen itself. So I pumped it full of that. We had rain coming. We got the rain. We got the rain again. A couple days later, got almost an inch. So I'm expecting now with this hot, dry July weather that that the plants in that screening mix like for that to take off. Um, it was probably about a foot high so far, but we needed rain bad. So I've been down there putting batteries in Exodus cameras, moving those around, watching the food plot. Um, see a lot of the sorghum coming up, the buckwheat coming up on the vitalized spring mix. And what I did, we're testing some new stuff. I actually added a uh, foliar fertilizer on one part of my annual clover plot as well. So I didn't mow it after listening to Craig Harper a lot. Um, I didn't mow that clover plot this year because according to Craig, deer will visit an unmowed clover plot twice as often as they will visit a mowed clover plot. So meaning one that is taller, more cover, more security, etc. They're going to visit that during Craig's study, they visited that twice as much. Um, 
I might mow it one time this summer, but I'm not focusing on that right now. So right now I'm letting it go, and my buddy Eric Long over at the Deer Hunter Project mentioned this in their latest video. He said, you know when you can just stop and listen, you're doing habitat right. And I mean, you stand in the middle of that clover plot with all the white flowers and just listen. And as I was spraying the foliar fertilizer, I bet I got, you know, a couple hundred bees, you know, a little bit irritated as I sprayed them as I walked by. Um, and just, you know, totally safe stuff, but a lot of water mixed in. And it was just, all you could hear is the buzzing and the humming of the bees in that food plot. So when Eric said that, it kind of caught my attention, like, hey, I do stop and listen a lot, and I am hearing good things. So hopefully that's a sign of doing a couple things right here. And that clover plot, um, I'm testing, give it a little boost on one side of it to see if that foliar will do what I want it to do. But I want to share that. That's kind of where I've been at at the 15A. Oh, no, one more thing at the 15. About a month ago, I went down there to check on my would be second year switchgrass. So in the fall of 20, I sprayed an area right where I plant my annual screen, the Border Patrol. The reason I'm putting switchgrass there is because the screen did such a good job that now I'm permanently erecting a screen there out of switch so I don't have to plant it every year and the switch can take over. And you know, this year and probably even next year for sure, that will be tall enough to act as the screen itself. But I need to go down there and I took a look at it. Bunch of broad leaves coming up. Um, still some cool season grasses in it. And I did spray Roundup and Simazine this spring. Glyphosate and Simazine mixed on that plot. But we still got some cool season grasses in there. So I'll have to try that again this next coming spring before the switch germinates. But it was already probably 12 inches tall. And you could see what was switched, what wasn't based on the stalks from last year. So I went through there and I mowed all of it down. Uh, Broadleaf, switch, everything. And now I just went back a month later, like I said, 4th of July to check things out. And the second year switch is already like three foot tall. Uh, it's Cave and Rock switchgrass. And that mowing just knocked down the broadleafs. There's still some in there now, but it knocked down the majority of them and gave that switch a, a boost or a kick in the butt or whatever you want to call it, where now it's taking off. Uh, so I expect that switch at the end of this year, I would assume, I don't see why it wouldn't be five foot tall. Um, so keep you guys updated there. But those are kind of the projects I've been working on was really getting my screen in, getting my vitalized seed planted, getting them fertilized on the screen, and then kind of monitoring and mowing my second year switchgrass. So... Like I said, back in, in 2020, I sprayed that area dead as dead can be in a fall spraying. So I got the cool seasons killed. And then I frost seeded the next year. And uh, spring of 2021, now it's 2022. So if you are thinking about putting in switchgrass, a fall preparation is awesome. Even if you got maybe, maybe plant fall soybeans, Roundup Ready, that way you can keep it clean with Roundup or uh, glyphosate over the fall, get it ready for spring planting. Same goes with like a pollinator prep, same kind of thing. So that's kind of the update on the 15 acres. Now let's get to the Northern 70 update guys. So I want to say it was back in April 
we had the walk, the walkabout, if you will, the property visit from the consulting forester. Um, now, I found this guy through a friend of mine who owns a bunch of property in northern Michigan. Uh, he uses this forester all over northern Michigan. The guy's been around forever, and I trust him. So I just went ahead and spent the money on a plan to have a forestry plan written for the Northern 70. Now, I have to have this plan written to have any work done with logging the whole property due to the conservation easement that is on this property. But you know what? I'm perfectly okay with that because this plan I got is robust. It's 22 pages. It's freaking awesome. Now, we'll get into that here in a minute. Um, so to get anything cut on this conservation easement property, which is in northern 70 acres, you have to have a written and approved plan by a registered forester in the state of Michigan. And then the, cons the conservancy has to approve the plan. Um, so I went to the, to the uh, forester. I paid the thing is 1250 bucks for the plan. And then we met out there for the first time walking with a forester it would have been in May. So his name is Perry. Um, he works up here in northern Michigan. Now, the guy's been doing it for a long time. I bet he's probably low 60s. Uh, he met me there. He brought his upland bird dog with him. And uh, first off, I'm just going to kind of take you guys through through kind of what we did. We met at the, the build site. We're also building a cabin up there right now so we can have you know spot to stay deer camp family home base if you will so that's been taking up a bunch of my time in visits when i go up there to you know meet with the contractor and go pick things out and make decisions and do all that stuff never done that before that's a whole that's a whole other thing i'm gonna take a sip of beer now after talking about that for a minute but um so the cabin's going along great fine blah 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 uh so we meet at the build site, we kind of go over what my goals were, and I told him, as I've done before, I said, hey, we need to get this plan approved. Um, I want to put sunlight on the forest floor. Wildlife is of an utmost concern to me. Not just deer, but any upland birds, anything in this area. But also, I kind of want to manage this property a little more for timber, you know, over the next 50 years, right? So I wanna keep that a little bit more in mind than my 15 acres, which was strictly for, for wildlife. Um, so with that in mind, we start taking off and, and the property sits way up on a hill and then dives off down the steep, steep hills into a bottom where the wetland is. And then it kinda of goes back up on the other side a little bit. So it's like a huge valley. So as we start walking down the hill, you know, Perry is like <laughs> already a little hesitant on on the accessibility of the property. So me, I'm kind of a guy who's gonna find a way to get it done. I, it, I'll keep asking until I find the right answer. Um, if knows the answer, I'll find somebody else who will do it. Whatever, whatever. It's kind of just the way I'm wired, and he's kind of started out the opposite with like oh man oh boy oh i'm not sure about this 
Oh, geez, this big hill. This is going to be hard. This is going to be your limiting factor, this big hill. And so I'm sitting here going off the bat, like, really? Already we're bumming out on this whole project? So I'm getting kind of, I don't know, just worried, if you will. So as we continue to walk, we start seeing a bunch of very mature aspen. Um, the, the woods is covered in beech, and it has beech bark disease. Um, so you see a lot of the really, really big beech. Um, there's a couple of them that have died because of the disease and fallen over. Um, then you see the beach shoot up everywhere around there after that. And so we're kind of walking down. Um, we get down to the wetland. We walk across the wetland. It's pretty dry right now. Uh, and, and on that side of the property, the, the creek really starts. There really isn't a creek on that side of the property. But on the far east side, the, the creek is flowing. So the property emits water and forms a creek on the property itself, which is pretty neat. Um, we get across here, we find big aspen like I'll, I'll tell you guys how big they are when I get to the, the plan here but just giant aspen and even a couple of those were so big that that Perry was saying these are so mature and so old that they're literally dying and falling over because that's how mature they are well nobody really wants to hear that I mean I guess it is a good thing is when it does happen sunlight comes down aspen shoots up around it um, that sort of thing, but there's still a bunch of them standing and blocking the canopy. So, you know, my whole thing was, let's get this cut. Well, all that is on the other side of the wetland that runs throughout the whole center of the property. So on that far side, as we were walking, we kind of realized, again, Perry was kind of saying, hey, another limiting factor here. We can't get over to this other side unless you find and talk to one of your neighbors and get access through them. I'm like, I've never done that before, so I mean, access to go track a deer or something is one thing, but access to have logging trucks and everything else burn through there is a whole nother thing. You know, be, be in there for a month, dragging logs out, noise. I mean, it's a different question in my eyes, at least. Um, so now I'm kind of, now I'm kind of really worried. I'm like, geez, are we even gonna be able to cut anything out of here? Or even if we do, is anybody going to give me anything for it after they spend all the time getting it out of here? Um, so that's kind of weighing heavy on my mind as we're walking, and he's identifying some trees. And I'm to the point now where I can keep up, and I'm identifying with him, and, and I know this stuff, and uh, which is which is kind of cool to me in my own brain. Um, but we're seeing some just really big mature trees, and we stumble across these kind of knobs. They're like probably 25-foot hills. Like if you were to dump a pile of sand out of a out of a excavator like a, just like a mound almost but trees growing on them leaves the whole thing there's like two or three of them just in this corner and right up on top of one of them we find a buck bed uh, it's a single big five foot circle like impression in the leaves deer hair everything there and he's just set up in a freaking perfect spot um He's watching over the wetland to the south of him. There's a ton of big property up to the north of him that you have to get through to, to get to him. And he's up on this perch where he can see everything. So, of course, I'm dropping pins, right, checking that out. Uh, well, that's kind of cool to know that there's a buck bed on that property. And um, he's probably not a, a dumb young one the way he was positioned in that bed. Hard to say. It wasn't all rubbed up or anything, but... Um, 
I don't think the deer density is there to see as much of the rub sign as maybe you would on my 15 acres. You know, it's kind of, kind of more big woods type territory. And uh, I just haven't seen a lot of rubs there on that property yet. So, you know, we're, we're finding this bed. We're finding a bunch of old aspen. Um, also, you know, back in like December, we paid a company to come in there and mark all of our boundaries. We wanted to make sure our lines are surveyed, corners are marked, etc. A good thing to do when you first buy a property. That way, if you have to have any tough discussions, you have them with your neighbors right off the bat and put it behind you. Um, we're finding out that this company had not come through and finished their job. So I'm taking notes on that, going, okay, you marked this corner, but nothing else I asked to do is being done. So it's kind of some due diligence there um, that I was able to achieve while I was on this walk. And then I also was putting up posted signs that I had my backpack along the property borders as well. So we're kind of kind of making a multi-use trip, you know. I try to be efficient when I do things, and if I'm there, drove all the way up, I'm gonna get a couple things done, you know, while I'm at it. All right, excuse my, my sip there. Ready for another one here. So, now we're walking kind of the north property line. We're coming down. We come across some leaks, some wild leaks. No, and these are ramps, these are wild ramps. So, if you don't know what a wild ramp is, look it up, it's this cool, like garlicky onion plant that grows out in the woods, in the wild. And you gotta be careful how many you harvest, you don't wanna just rip out a whole patch. But we harvested, you know, half dozen of them. You can just smell them and taste them as soon as you pull them out of the ground. It's like a, gar it's like a garlicky onion, they're freaking awesome. So. I threw a half dozen of those in the bag. Cool to see that they're on the property, and, and Perry was telling me, well, we most likely to find some mushrooms around here too. If they're not, this year I would look here again next year just because of the way the area was setting out. So it's good to see that there might be some morels on the property too. Uh, it's just been such a dry spring up there that that I, we didn't come across any. I'm not the best at finding those anyways, but uh, we did find some wild ramps, which was awesome. Um, I ended up cooking those up with some venison steak. It was it was great. Now we're walking through. Um, kind of walk that whole north side. We're starting to see some decent looking maple. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm starting to get a really good hang on identifying trees in the woods, and I'm seeing more and more, you know, sugar maple, hard maple, which is a valuable tree and kind of what we're looking for up in those woods. There's really no oaks in those woods. Maple and beech and, and um, there's some white birch, yellow birch, uh, hemlock, and pine. So I'm starting to see more and more of this, but like I said, on the north side of that wetland, it's hard to get them out of there because we can't disturb the wetland due to the conservancy easement. And to the north, I'd have to go through a neighbor's property, which I don't know any of them yet. So we cross back over on the east side back down to the south side of the wetland. And the east side is just a lot thicker. It's the, the wetland, like I said, the creek and swamp kind of widen out, cover more ground down there. And it's just where the deer are traveling through and living will be in that wetland. It's kind of like a hemlock swamp too. So there was some thermal cover in there, which this area gets a ton of snow. And it's good to see that there's already some thermal cover in the area that I won't have to go plant and create and wait 20, 30 years to do. 
So I'm pretty excited about that. So we come all the way through there, and now we're back on the south side of the wetland and the 70 acres. I'm throwing up more posted signs, finding some neighbor's trash, you know, normal, normal stuff, I guess. And um, these are now we're back on the on the steep side. We're back on the really steep side. So as we're coming through there, I'm seeing hard maple, hard maple, hard maple, just giant trees. And they're, some of them have been marked and painted and counted uh, years back. So I saw one that was painted 330, 330. You know, I saw another one that was painted 265. Another one was painted 110. Then the one next to it was painted 111 and 112. And so I'm starting to put this together that there might be some more value here than I anticipated uh, on the first walk with the realtor um, last fall. So I'm kind of getting a little more excited and, you know, Perry's still going, oh man, yeah, there's some nice trees, but we got to get them out of here. You know, it's going to be an issue getting them out of here. And so I'm thinking, well, all right, well, there's got to be a way. When there's a will, there's a way. We'll figure this out. Um, so the whole south side has a bunch of good hard maple. And, uh, and maybe if there's any loggers listening, Greg or Matt, any of you guys who cut trees, maybe you can offer me some advice here. You know, there's going to be a way to, to get these out up that hill. Um, I just was blown away by the maturity of these trees. They are, they are gorgeous. Gorgeously amazing. Very tall. Uh, just awesome. And mature canopy, right? So not what I want to see for deer hunting. So, it's kind of looking pretty good. Like, when you get these cut, get them out of here. Hopefully get some income for the property and, and also make better wildlife habitat. So, I'm thinking, okay, I know what to do. And we just keep going and counting big maples and big maples and big maples. Now, there are some, there are some soft spots on the hills where we call them a seep, where the water is really a spring coming out of the ground, flowing down the drainage into the creek. And those spots are like kind of muddy and soft. We're talking on the side of a hill, which is pretty random. I haven't seen that a lot. And we're going to have to, like, those are probably very hard to log right there, right? Or maybe impossible. Or maybe there's a way. Um, so, again, I'm seeing all these concerns from the forester and, and just really wondering if we're even going to be able to get this done. Now, there's one ravine that cuts down the hill more left to right and it's a lot more gradual than the rest of them so i told perry i'm like perry if we're gonna get anywhere up this hill it's gonna have to be up that cut because that's the le the least steepest least steepest part of the property to get up to the top where the logging deck's gonna be and he agreed with me and he thought yep i think that if we do anything it's gonna be where it is um so we mucked that down, etc., and and then we kind of split ways. He went back to his truck, started drawing some stuff up. I went and finished posting the property and uh, hanging some more cameras, both for security purposes and both for, um, you know, whitetail, bear, whatever we find. Um, so we're up there doing that. We get back to the property. It begins to rain, and he's kind of going, yeah, I don't know, you know, kind of still playing that card. And... <laughs> A super nice guy. I really learned a ton talking to him the whole time. And by the end, he's like, 
He goes, but if you want us to handle your timber harvest, you know, let me know. We'd be happy to. So I kind of, I kind of took that as a, all right. So we have some, we have something here. We have something that these guys are willing to do. And, uh, it's kind of where, it's kind of where it ended that day. Now, fast forward to about a week or two ago, I get the actual forestry plan in the mail. I'm going to pull this up here. Bear with me. Now, this is a, here it is. It's a robust plan. Um, and like I said, we need to submit this plan to the Conservancy to be able to do anything. This plan is 22 pages long, guys. Um, and a lot of it is, I understand, some of it's some forestry jargon and some more repetitive stuff that he probably has in multiple plans. But just give you kind of a, kind of a rundown here. We talk about you know the, the information and the description of the property, my objectives, Location, physiography, climate information, topography, threatened and endangered species, you know, forest health, vegetation, past and present, um, invasive plant species, wildfire risk, soil resources, and forest land productivity. That's just the first 12 pages. Then we talk into the management. So the forest management plan and map and the vegetation map for what's there covers the next 10 pages. Um, so it's pretty awesome. I, I would recommend anybody, even if you aren't going to get your woods logged or want to learn more about your property, there are state foresters that will come walk your property for free if you work with them. Uh, NRCS might be able to help you out in finding the correct one. Uh, these guys are consulting foresters, so they take a cut from the logging mix itself and kind of how they operate but even just having this alone this this plan i think it was worth the the money um now we're, they're saying i'm going to kind of go through the plan here so i'd recommend that the objectives i had were to provide opportunities for recreation and hunting deer turkey grouse provide optimal habitat for wildlife manage the forest in a sustainable manner for timber production and forest health and to protect the lowlands and wetlands. Also, we need to protect the steep side hills for erosion. That's that's on here too. Um, so, I'm just gonna cover some of this. I'm not gonna read through 22 pages for you guys. You guys will be falling asleep by the end of this. But there are no threatened or endangered species. Um, we'll talk about the the beach bark disease. How it's present on the property. That is a combination of a scale insect and a fungus. Both wind disseminated and it causes morality of the beach. Um, kills it. What else we have here? Rare plant communities, none identified as a rare plant community. You know, no, no endangered species and no rare plant communities. Those are wins um, for me, honestly. It could be a headache down the road. Now we talk about invasives. He said there were no invasives noted during the field inventory. That's awesome. Um, I thought we did have some scotch pine up top, but I was very surprised to see that. And it, I didn't see any, but I, we have a bunch of like silver maple, which isn't an invasive, but holy crap, it acts like one. 
Um, there's no risk of wildfire, at least on where we are. And then we start talking about the, the soil types up there. So we have like a loamy sand. We have um, pretty much they call it a blue lake loamy sand. Very sandy. And you can see where we're building the cabin. All the dirt that they dug out. Sand for days. So, lots of loamy sand. The other one is Otisco loamy sand. So, just very, very sandy in that part of the state. I mean, Michigan is very sandy anyways, but a lot of the time you have some clay base to it. This looks like a lot of sand, at least on the, the non-wetland parts. So, there's a whole section on limitations, slopes, how suited they are to be logged. Just a bunch of information that I didn't even think I'd get to get to see. Um, we talk about like seedling mortality. So there's like, there's like a rating scale of how you can rate your property on the chances of the seedling surviving after you log. The whole forest floor is covered with sugar maple seedlings that are, you know, six inches tall and just can't do anything. So the, the mortality rate or the potential seedling mortality rate was, was slight, slight, slight and moderate. So that's good. It's good to see. Uh, we talk about, you know, drainage and drought, forest land productivity. Um, and then we kind of get into, like I said, the, the forest management plan map and the existing vegetation, I'm sorry, vegetation map and key. Now, we divided this up into, I believe, six sections. Yes, but section one has an A, B, and a C. So there's, I guess, eight. Now, looking at the predominant species and the range of average diameter at four and a half foot. So they call that, oh shoot, diameter at chest height. Damn, oh, I know this too. Um, anyways, they're saying the sugar maple or the hard maple in four of the sections is all 10 inches and at an age of 100 years. So those maple trees are all 100 years old down there. That's how big they are. And in this area of the country, they don't grow as fast. So it's pretty neat to see that amount of, of awesome, you know, footage. It looks like they're 140 square feet basal area, 140 square feet per acre and then after the harvest they'd be looking to bring it down to 90 uh, for the maple we talk about pulp wood um, with the aspen bolt wood and saw timber there's a couple cool pictures now basically these units contain a mix of sugar maple red maple basswood beech yellow birch quaking aspen big tooth aspen white pine and hemlock um, and then there's a bunch of information on each one of these species in this plan that you can, you can probably go look up somewhere else too, but the fact that it's all right here is pretty handy. And then we go into the forest sand improvement. So they literally write out how they're going to come in and log what section, when, how often, uh, every 10 years, etc. Talk about the basal area. It's just pretty interesting. It's really, really in-depth plan. Uh, and they do this for each section. So like I said, there's one through six and one has three different areas. They do this for each section. So you really have a, like a roadmap for the next 50 years on what you're supposed to do 
with this property to improve and enforce an improvement. And what this does for the conservancy is it gives them all the information they need to either approve, not approve, modify, whatever we're going to do moving forward. Um, and we're also managing the wetland as part of this. So the forestry plan, they're even talking about wetland wildlife habitat management. And they give us a, a conservation practice on the 19 or 20 acre wetland that runs throughout the middle. It's just it, This property is so diverse, guys. There's a, there's a northern pine, like a, a red pine area, big maple, big aspen, hemlock. I just, it's, it's awesome. And it's becoming more and more, I'm becoming more and more excited as I get further into this and understanding it. So you talk about upland wildlife habitat management by doing these cuts in the aspen. Um, they even tell me what kind of food plot to plant. Uh, Perry, I may take that in my own hands, but I appreciate it, sir. Looks like plant annual food plots with 1.5 bushel per acre of rye or wheat. Establish permanent cover for wildlife, plant perennial food plots, inoculated seed, ladino clover, and bird's foot trefoil. Pretty interesting stuff, guys. It's like a roadmap to manage your property. I'm really just impressed by this plan and, and walking it with them. Um, so it looks like they, they even talk about the forest trails and landings, what to do with the forest trails, what to do with the, the landings. Year 2022 through 2042 annually. They tell me what to do for 20 years. Uh, it's just pretty cool. You know, then at the end, they give you a summary kind of of planned activities. And it kind of, you can revert back to the plan on each activity if you need to get more in depth. But there's a summary towards the end on all that. And they talk about the different definitions and methods, etc., that they can use throughout there. So overall, I'm extremely happy with the plan. I'd recommend this plan, you know, to anybody. And, and I will continue to do that with our, with our land plant services, as we've already done, recommending contacting foresters in most of our land plants. Now, that is really most of what I had here, guys, on the Northern 70. Um, deer camp will be held there this year during gun season and bow season. So that will commence. Now, the cabin, again, I'm wrapped up in that. That's been keeping me very busy. So I'm going to continue to bust that out. That's going extremely well and should be done by deer season we hope, and then um, I don't think they're going to be able to log this, guys, until 2023, which was a bummer to me. After talking with Perry, and he's like, nah, there's no way, the backlog of work, etc. Um, maybe we'll, maybe we can find a logger that will be able to get in there. And, and I'd even possibly, I'd even possibly consider doing it this fall during hunting season just to have it done a year in advance. That's how important that is to me. So other than that, the forester and the company plans on if all is good, you know, and the prospectus comes back, we get some bids to log in 2023. Now, we have not sent this out for bids. He wanted to walk it with one of his partners at the forestry uh, company. That was supposed to be complete this week. And um, then we're going to understand, you know, a true tree count, board foot, everything out there. Start understanding the value that, that's on the property, really. But my main concern is getting it done 
and getting their infrastructure built on the property. Like these loggers are gonna build that road down from the top to the bottom, etc. So I need that help. I can do it all myself, but I'd rather have the guys with the big equipment do it while we're there. If not, I'll just run a bozer with my buddy Paul Reinders and uh, my dad will we'll take care of it. But yeah, guys, that's where we're at. Um, just wanna give you an update. Hope you guys enjoyed kind of catching up and listening to me ramble. A little bit different this week type of episode normally the guests do the talking but i want to just give you guys an update I, now is the time so i will keep you guys posted um i may try to get up and put a vitalized food plot in the power line or something similar to that the the canopy is just too shaded down there in the bottom so there's really no point in me trying to scrape some leaves and throw something down if I do, I'll throw some rye or some vitalized carbon down there and uh, carbon load and, and see what happens. But right now, it's going to be hang cameras, monitor. Uh, I do have a camera that watches the build site and the driveway and the other driveway. And there are bucks on camera already. The biggest one so far is probably a 100-inch A-point. Um, I can't tell if it's a 2-year-old or 3-year-old up there yet. The antlers do not get as big in this area of the country. But uh, that I don't care about that. I care about age. And I hope that if that's a shooter, we already got shooter on the property. That'd be, that'd be unique. That'd be cool. So cameras are up. We're going to continue to monitor. And I'll keep you guys posted. So as for the rest of you, I wish you all a great weekend. I hope uh, you're out there getting your habitat work done this summer. And, um, yeah, thank you for listening. Leave us a great review. Check us out on all of our channels. Brian's been doing an awesome job on YouTube. And uh, we'll be back soon. Another great episode, guys. Over and out. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com, we have our Habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, You know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, Packer Max Cultipackers, Afflictor Broadheads, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.
don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king. But who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver. Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.